Hey everybody, Brad Stevens here, founder and CEO of Outsource Access. We help companies redefine how they scale with offshore affordable staff from the Philippines. Congrats to all fellow winners of the 2023 Real Leaders Impact Awards. We are proud to be among you. About 10 years ago, I woke up to a major growth problem in my last business. Cash was tight, staff was overwhelmed, and tasks were not getting done. Then I discovered the world of offshore virtual staff in the Philippines where English is their second language, so there is no communication or culture gap. I realized outsourcing wasn't just call centers, it was access to college-educated Filipinos to support sales, marketing, operations, customer service, bookkeeping, personal tasks, and more. And in fact, the first woman I hired in the Philippines at 23 is now an award-winning COO of our entire company. It inspired me to launch Outsource Access. One client and YPO member, Ali Jamal, shared their offshore virtual staff Edison automated processes and saved them over 50,000 per year in the first few weeks. It's about finally getting things done and staff focusing on higher value activities. We've grown by over 2,000% in just three and a half years and will double next year. To receive a complimentary outsourcing playbook customized for your industry and to connect with one of our team here at Outsource Access, just visit RedefineScale.com. That's RedefineScale.com or text the word SCALE to 770-954-8440. Two months after hiring my first staff, she sent me a picture of shoes she bought for low-income children because of the opportunity. And now we support thousands of families and the environment with United Nations SDG projects. I'm proud we've grown with impact. To learn more, visit RedefineScale.com. Boom, what up? Hello, bonjour, and hola, real leaders. This is Kevin Edwards, your host here, and I am so excited. You're tuning in to one of our amazing experiences. What you're about to hear is going to be fresh, real, and loaded with inspiration, guaranteed to support your impact journey. So sit back, enjoy the listen, folks share a review afterward, and always keep it real. In five, four, three, two, one, and welcome everyone to this episode of the Real Leaders Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Edwards, and joining us today, folks, we've got the CEO of Fluitech. Please give a warm welcome to Mr. Pierre Vanderkellen. Pierre, thanks for being with us today. Thank you, Kevin. You pronounced my family name correctly, which is fantastic. It's a good start. <laughs> I had a couple uh, hours to practice beforehand, Pierre. So, yeah, thank you. Thank you, thank you for noticing. Um, now, Pierre, uh, speaking on that, the you know the family name, you know that that's something that you know you, you've had your your entire life. But when it comes to the career of of you of Fluitech, um, you know everything doesn't really happen according to plan, right? Um, you can't really predict where you're going to be in 20 years. You can hope, you can have the dreams, you can have your purpose, but things kind of just happen as they go. Tell me a little bit more about your backstory. What brought you into this space and, and bring our audience into where it all began. Yeah, so I mean, um, thank you um, for hosting me. Um, so I'm a nuclear engineer. Um, and as the name sounds, Pierre van der Kalen, I, I come from Belgium. Brussels, to be precise, uh, like Hercule Poirot, uh, for the ones who like that. Um, so I, my career was in the beginning five years full time in, in a nuclear power plants, doing all these Homer Simpson kind of things, refueling nuclear reactors, protecting people against radiations, all these really cool stuff that I think you would not be able to do today as a young engineer. 
So that was really a, a great start. Um, and then I basically had an opportunity to, uh, to do a break for two years in Spain and Barcelona at the SA to do, a, to do an MBA. And I had big dreams. I really wanted to go MBA and then after that to go into consulting. It was all laid out. I had big plans. Um, and so I did an MBA and I did an internship in, uh, in consulting in, uh, in the Middle East. Um, and actually, I didn't like it um, at all. I realized that I did not want to work for large corporation anymore, but I also did not want to, to work in consulting. I wanted to more go in the direction of a startup and get my hands uh, dirty. So um, so I found basically via, via connections, I had the opportunity to join Fluitech and uh, I did not know anything about lubricants when I joined Fluitech. Um, and I remember my friends making jokes about, you know, Pierre doing an MBA and then joining that little startup in lubricants with a funny, funny title on my business card, which was, you know, a senior fluid specialist, which was also a big joke among my friends. And so, you know, back then I remember everybody in my entourage and my friends basically after the MBA had, you know, either they were in, you know, banking or they were in consulting, great business uh, cards and great titles. Um, and I was there in that little startup uh, in Brussels. But, you know, what, um, what actually I enjoyed every single day in the company because it had, you know, I've been now around 14 years in the company, but I have the impression that I, been living through you know five different companies um, because it has changed a lot and i have had a lot of fun every day still a lot of fun um so yeah, that's a little bit the story that that brought me and um to, uh, to the point where i am today and, and there's something about that right and, and i almost would consider that risk you know people that are willing to take a risk of joining a startup of starting one at an early age when if you're in that type of community most of your friends i guess running around are probably getting better jobs at the time and that is a risk to you as in your career this startup that may not work it could fail it is not looked at as this uh, you know big five job um Go into that a little bit more, Pierre. What were some of those early frustrations, maybe um, something that got you through um, the, the, the mental risk, the mental block that uh, an entrepreneur faces when they take a risk like this? Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, frustration, I really had very little frustration about the choice I made because I basically had, I had seen some things that I did not want to continue. So actually, I was pretty clear on what I did not want to do. And I had the opportunity to do something that I did not know. Um, and that was kind of joining that small company. Um, there was a risk, of course, but let's be honest, at when you're young, the risk is fairly limited. If it fails, it fails. You don't have a mortgage. You don't have a family. You don't have kids. The risk is pretty limited. So, um, you know, and then I said the click was there, the chemistry with the people in that, that organization, it's still, you know, it was a great environment, uh, great people in that company. So yeah, there was a risk, but I didn't feel it like that. Um, there was a lot of adventure that actually after that, I, I moved to Singapore uh, for seven years. I um, restarted the business there as well as in Australia. 
so again it was a lot of fun a lot of uh, adventure so um sometimes it's good to uh, to jump into the into the swimming pool not really knowing what's going to happen uh, life is full of uh, good surprises sometimes and, and out of curiosity pierre like when did you start to notice fluatech was getting what we call traction um, you know, your sales were continuing to increase, your brand that was getting exposed, people were starting to, to know Fluatech. Um, tell me a little bit when you started to notice that. Yeah, uh, to be honest, again, life is not linear. Uh, it is, you know, you reflect back on, on things. It looks like everything has been rosy and, and good, but of course it's, it's full of difficult moments or moments where you need to preach in the desert. Um, so the, the business model of the company is really to um, to look at industrial lubricants, where basically you have that barely everywhere. Lubricants are absolutely a necessity on in you know in uh, turbines, compressors, pumps, and so on and so forth. So our customers are big energy companies and chemical companies and so on and so forth. And um, but the um, the traction that you just mentioned is really I think COVID has been a big push for us because a lot of things had to, to operate with less people on site. Um, and also all the CO2 and all the discussions around CO2 emissions and waste that has been basically giving, um, you know, a big push for us. Before that, to be honest with you, it had been quite preaching in the desert for many, many years. Um, people before me, before my time, were already with that concept of fill for life. Um, just, you know, Greg Livingstone, uh, Christian Soto, just to name a few. In the company we're preaching that way before my time um so now we start to see it has traction but uh, honestly it's, it was quite difficult in the beginning in the beginning well, well take us to uh in th this term you've you've coined fill for life um you, you've you mentioned it a few times it's everywhere plastered on your website i want to know a little bit about how this this term uh, came into existence and also how it's used throughout the organization yeah so for the listeners who are not familiar with lubricants, which is probably 99.99% <laughs> of the audience, um, you need to imagine that, you know, lubricants are a bit the blood in your body. Um, the machine is, is moving, it's, it's healthy or it needs to be healthy. But actually what's inside is your blood or the blood of the machine. And when that blood is contaminated or is in bad condition, start, you know, things start to happen. And the business model of lubricants, um, you know, 150 years ago already, it has been a consumable business where basically they come in, they put lubricants inside of a machine and five years after they change it. And so, of course, it's wonderful for the ones who are selling this because it's a repeat, you know, uh, uh, consumable. Um, we came with a concept of no, I mean, you should treat this as an asset versus a consumable. And it should last as long as the machine. So imagine a turbine, you know, it's millions of euros or USD, these big uh, turbines that are used to generate electricity in a power plant. There are thousands and thousands of liters of, uh, of oil. Um, the fill for life concept is that you put this one for all and then it will last for 20 or 25 years. You are going to remove all the bad stuff and you're going to inject good stuff back in. So it's almost like you have a dialysis machine that pumps all the bad stuff. And then you re-editize on the go with the additives that are necessary. So there's a lot of chemistry involved. It seems like easy when I'm describing it like this, but 
uh, if you don't do it right, a lot of things can go wrong. So um, that fill for life model is now more like a service where you basically uh, go to clients and treat it and maintain that oil in good condition for you know for a very long time. So it really became, let's say, tangible two or three years ago when we did the life cycle assessment and um, with a uh, local university here in the Netherlands as well as confirmed by a foundation, uh, which is called the Solar Impulse Foundation. And so our solution reduces CO2 emissions by 70 to 90% compared to mainstream solutions. So it's quite a lot. And you just imagine how many thousands and thousands and millions of liters of oil there is. Um, it has an impact um, if we put it at scale. And out of curiosity, Pierre, like why are your customers uh, purchasing this other than the, of course, the immediate benefits of the CO2 environment. Um, you're looking at shelf life, maybe reduction of, yeah. of oil. Tell me a little bit more about the, the savings uh, companies are interested in. Yeah, sure. So the very first thing for everybody is operational uptime. Um, what they want really is that the machine doesn't fail, is, is running and doesn't stop. That's the, the, the number one, uh, let's say, uh, point for all of them. Um, unfortunately, CO2 and the green aspects are still quite down the list. It's, it's going up now um, because you have your direct impact and the indirect impact as well. Um, obviously, the, the risk um, is lower, um, so you have more uptime, lower risk. Um, if you don't need to change the oil, you know, in terms of manpower, you don't need to send a team, a crew to do the oil change, um, which saves us a lot of money as well because you, you don't have a downtime. So you just need to know that, you know, a, a day saving into a refinery or a nuclear power plant, we speak about millions of USD saved. So this is really why people actually are, are looking at this. So we would not be able to survive only on the CO2, uh, let's say, green aspect uh, concept. But of course, it's a, it's a big plus uh, nowadays. Pierre, you started this episode saying that I feel like I've been working in about five different companies. And, and that, as you know, for, for folks that are working in a startup, we get that, right? You're always constantly changing trajectory um, or uh, maybe a new shift or a blind spot was noticed and you need to kind of focus your time there. Um, and, and your experience now as CEO what have been a few of those core factors that have really attributed to your growth? A few of those things, looking back, that you say, you know what, I wish I would have known this earlier um, as, as, a, as a company. And if we uh, can apply these more, uh, it'll lead to, to more growth. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, the growth is really coming from... Um, so first of all, we are not only present in, in Europe, we're present in so around 40% of our businesses is done in the uh, in America, in the US. Um, and then we have, so, you know, 30, 30, 30 between uh, Europe, Middle East, and then Asia and, and Australia. And I would say you, what, what I see, because I lived seven years in Singapore, um, is that it's still a, you know, what, what tricks the interest of people is varies between regions. So the, you know what's what is um, promoting or pushing your growth in Asia is completely different in uh, in the U.S. People react to different things. Um, so it, you know in the the way to do business as well. So I think the cultural aspect 
I'm, I'm reading a quite interesting book, The, the Cultural Map. Um, and it's really about that, you know, we are an international company and we see that there, there are so many differences between cultures and also why, how people buy from you, that I would have liked to, to know this or being even better at that, um, let's say 15 years ago, uh, that, that helps really. Um, I know that in my experience, I, I, I really spent a lot of time in the beginning in Asia to understand how how to sell and how to develop the company in Asia, which is completely different than Australia or even Europe. So this is the type of learning that you get when you, you move and you live somewhere else uh, in another place. So I can say I would have liked to know that before, but um, it has been a, a nice thing to, to learn it along the way as well. Go into that a little bit more. What is the difference between selling in Australia versus uh, Asia? I mean, Australia, you go to the meeting, um, you know, you don't know who the boss is because everybody's on, almost on the same level. You don't, people don't have these type of, you know, I'm the boss, he's not the boss, these type of things. They, you know, the business card is, you know, swiped on the, on the, on the table. So you ha almost have to, to jump to grab it. Um, the meeting is, goes directly to the point. It's a, I find it a very nice environment to do business because it's, it's quite direct and I can recognize a lot of similarities with the Netherlands, let's say. Um, whereas in Asia, it's it's really about building building the relationship over a long period of time, um, being able to read between the lines because things not always set. You need to understand what's behind. Um, leading a team in Asia is also quite different. Um, so I remember I, I really had a bloody nose and I lost people in the beginning uh, in Asia because I was coming with a totally Dutch mindset, very pushy, very direct. Um, which doesn't work in Asia. Uh, so yeah, th there are differences, cultural differences, of course, we all know that, um, but you have to, to experience it to, uh, to kind of really learn it, I think. And just out of curiosity, like, you know, many companies are, are thinking about going global, right? And they, they, they're like, there are great markets we can tap into, we're gonna go global, but, um, you know, first we wanna focus on where it's green. We wanna water where it's green. What was the thinking uh, for you, uh, whether you decide to enter a new market or you decide to stay in the ones that are currently working. Yeah, and people can tell you nice stories, and and uh, but the reality I think is that in the beginning in a startup you're in a survival mode, so <laughs> you you basically go you're really opportunistic. You go where you where you feel there is business, and where you get traction. Um, I remember that we already had some small bases in uh, in Asia, quite quite a good base in uh, in Europe and in, in uh, let's say the USA. Um, but China was the first country in uh, in Asia for us to uh, to open up. Um, well, and then you go small in the beginning and incremental steps. You you build it from there, and then to the point that it becomes such a nightmare to take these planes back and forth, <laughs> jet lags all the time. That you decide to okay. Um, we, we, you know, shall I move there and sh um, shall we start something there? And then the adventure uh, takes on from there. And, uh, you know, Pierre, CEOs, uh, they're, they're always filling in the gaps. They're doing a lot of different things. Just out of curiosity, everyone's different. If you had a pie chart to kind of understand where you spend most of your time, uh, where, where would you say you spend most of that? Oh, it's with people. I, my style is really to spend, to try to spend a lot of time with, with everybody, um, to really understand the projects, to understand how everybody's feeling, um, 
So it's not only about performance, but it's also about having a team that we can grow and where people are actually as happy as possible in the company. Um, so we have this, we have a couple of tools to uh, to do that, to monitor that. But the best tool is, of course, you know, face to face. COVID has been a big issue for that because we're not able to see people. Um, but so I spend quite a lot of time with people. Um, that that's where I spend time, and then the rest of my time is is really on the it's on the strategy and the, the things that are going to happen in three, five years, ten years from now, um, which is another side. And then uh, and the rest is really with uh, you know the typical things you do on um, with your investors, with the board, um, reporting, um, and then going promote the company to the to the external world. And and Pierre, how how would you describe like, your personal leadership style? <laughs> um, I, you know, I like collective intelligence. Um, there is someone in my family who used to run a large company and he was always saying there is, you know, there's one genius every, every century and there's probably no genius in this company. But as a team, we can probably be as good as, as a genius or approach that. And this is what I try to do all the time to, you know, decisions. Of course, someone needs to take a decision, but I really want to have, you know, a collective intelligence discussions, hear everybody's opinion to kind of have different point of views. Um, so it's really about um, a collaborative environment that I'm trying to, to create in the company. Absolutely not a top-down kind of, you know, I'm the CEO, I'm the boss, you do what, what I say. Absolutely not. There's many people in the company who know much better than I do, you know, how the market is evolving, how technologies are evolving and so on. So I see myself more like, a, you know, a maestro, a conductor in front of the, the orchestra uh, rather than anything else. And, and, and to go into that a little bit more, um... On the flip side, when you find yourself making the worst decisions, is it when you're going too fast? Is it when you're in a bad mood? Maybe you haven't eaten something. Help me understand like how others can, I guess, be in a good mindset to to make you know clear decisions when all this input is being thrown at you. Yeah, I mean, on a personal point of view, you mean, or the people I work personal. with? Yeah, personal. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, obviously everybody knows that, but um, stress is not good. It's never, you know, a little bit of stress is good, but if you have too much stress, you don't take good decisions. So, you know, I, I, I work a lot on that to try to, um, to keep stress at bay. Um, it's not easy, um, but I try to have a balanced life. Sleeping is very important. Uh, more and more we speak about uh, sleeping is quite important. Um, family time. Uh, I respect weekends of my employees and myself as well. I mean, weekends are really for the family. So I try to have a balanced life because the rest of the week is is, is super hard work. Um, and then fear. Um, I do not want fear to drive my, my life. I've never had that. I don't want fear to, to be the driver or to be in the driving seat. You spoke about risk in the beginning. I think life is all about taking risks here and there but as long as you quantify these risk or you know uh, your backup plans you you have you know you don't take foolish risks that put the company at risk or yourself at risk or your family at risk 
then you have the, the plan B or plan C behind or in the background. I mean, you should take some risks. And Pierre, on that note, what's one thing outside of work that you've been focusing on? I know you've mentioned the book, you've mentioned sleep, you've mentioned maybe a few other things. If you had to boil it down, just like the most important factor to get you in a clear mindset, what recommendation would you um, give to others based on your experience? Um, purpose, a sense of purpose. So, you know, one of the reasons why I stayed in this company is that I, there is a purpose to me. There's a real reason why I love this company and what we are doing. And it's really because we have an impact. So we are changing something. We are working on changing a business model that is basically from the, you know, prehistorical times. Um, and it needs to change. So the sense of purpose, knowing why you go to work um, is really important. Um, because of that sense of purpose, you know, I dedicate myself, you know, 200% of my work, but I still need to have a balance with the other elements, which is I need to be a healthy person. I don't want to be, uh, I want to be a good father, a good husband as well. Um, so yeah, life is always, a, a, the entire life is a question of keeping everything in balance, um, which is the hardest thing in life. I mean, the entire life you have things pulling you to the left, pulling you to the right. And you constantly need to uh, to remain balanced, I think, to be healthy and, uh, and go and go far. Hmm. And a purpose centers you for that balance. I love that. In all yeah. of this, Pierre, what is your definition of a real leader? I was expecting that question. <laughs> um, so to me, I mean, you will have many different answers, of course, and it depends the, what type of company you work for. I have been working really for, let's say, a startup that became a medium-sized company. So resilience, uh, resilience has been a big, um, a big thing because you can have a lot of ideas and, and goals, but if you do not have the resilience to uh, the stamina to, uh, to, to keep going and to fail and to get up again, um, you know, people are not going to follow you. Um, you're not going to be a good leader. Well put for Pierre van der Kalen. I'm Kevin Edwards asking you to go out there, be resilient, and always, folks, keep there it real. Go. Thanks, Pierre. Thank you, Kevin. Thank you. Hey, Releaders, thanks again for listening to this amazing episode. And if you're someone like me who goes all the way to the end just to make sure I can extract as much information, education, and inspiration out of every single interview, might I suggest you check out our magazine. If you go online to Releaders.com today, you're going to get the first 30 days for free where you're going to be able to access all of our magazines courses and live events from some of the top thought leaders around the world. All you have to do is go online to realleaders.com and click the subscribe button in the top right corner to get your free 30-day trial right now. Again, that's real-leaders.com. Thanks again for being a real leader.
And always, keep it real.